0: I've actually asked people why we're mean to Joe. I said, do you know Joe?
1: <laughs>
2: no. <laughs> why? And it's such a sweet word.
1: Someone says, boy, I really like those Athman Genesis units. And Joe chimes in, yeah!
3: <laughs>
4: like, little that
3: <laughs> <episode>. <laughs> I have no idea how this thing's put together. It'd be easier for me to be asking questions to be trying to
0: pontificate on something,
3: I don't know.
5: You're listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division of the National Model Railroad Association. The topics and discussions are about the world's greatest hobby, model railroading. Here are your hosts, Thomas Gajer and Ken Zeska. This episode of The Crossing Gate is brought to you by The Car Parade. Do you have a main street on your layout? Of course you do! Then you need The Car Parade. Yes, The Car Parade shows up in any town, city, or small village. And it shows up every day on your layout. The Car Parade is a place for you to show off the automobile collection you have acquired since you were in 4th grade. You can have the antique car parade... More Model T Fords than Dearborn, Michigan ever produced. You can have a classic car parade. 1950 Chevys with fins as far as the eye can see. Or at least to the wall and next to the gazebo that's behind Gruesome Casket. Never mind. You can have a muscle car parade. Show off those late 60s hot rods in all those wild colors. Of purple. Orange. Purple. Yes, the car parade will allow you to have any vehicle on your layout, no matter what year you are trying to convince us all that you model. So move those everyday Impalas and Skylarks off the layout and start filling up Main Street in Plasticville with your car collection. Not associated with the fire truck parade. Forty-two cop cars at the donut shop sold separately.
6: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Crossing Gate Podcast. I'm your host Thomas Gazer. And tonight we're joined by William Sampson.
1: Hello, everybody. Mr. Ken Zeska. Good evening. Joe
6: Binnish. Roll, Todd, roll. David Hamilton. Hello. Mr. Mike Jordan. Hello. Larry Egering. Hello, everyone. And Greg Dahl. Hello. And tonight, or this episode, is going to be moderated or refereed by Mr. William Sampson. So I'll kick it over to you, Bill. What do you want to talk about on this podcast?
1: Well, first of all, we want everybody to play fair. There's no biting, there's no choke holds, you know, make sure that you can let the guy breathe. When we get into this, we want to actually look at um, kind of the manufacturers and not diving directly into specific manufacturers so much, but it's perfectly fine if guys do. Uh, We want to kind of look at the evolution of the hobby and how it has evolved. Have we either evolved with it or have we kind of forced the manufacturers to kind of change to adapt to the stuff that we like? And I think we'll open up here with Joe, you're a resin kit builder. And as a resin kit builder, has that world improved or has the, I guess, the Athens of the world, if you will, have they come up to the level of what a resin kit can be?
2: Uh, Yes to both. Resin kits have gone from the flat kit and your main task was to get a square box for a house car. Now they're one piece bodies and the the bottom or the floor, the underframe fits right in. So you're drilling a lot less holes and, and your construction is a lot less onerous. Same thing with the, the plastic kits. For years and years, Athearn and Roundhouse were your, your go-tos for a 40-foot boxcar. And then about 1992, you get uh, Red Caboose comes out with their beautiful 1937 car. People liked those and built more kits. And they started doing the, the ready-to-run stuff. And boom, it took off. And now the, the stuff you can buy is absolutely perfect. It's ready-to-detail, I guess, is what my friend Clark Propst says but it makes for a really, really nice car right under the layout. Uh, Let's talk to Ken, because Ken does the same thing in S-Scale, and I'm kind of intrigued with S-Scale about how what the industry has changed into S-Scale. Talk to
0: me, Ken. I will do that, sir. S-Scale doesn't have the uh, the amount of manufacturers that uh, are in other scales, but people uh, like Yarmouth came out with a gorgeous resin kit in S-Scale. It was fantastic, and there's a pre-sized company That's doing some work. That it's like you say. It's it's the body cast wonderfully, and then the frame is beautiful. The underframe is beautiful. So building a kit now is not nearly what it was ten years ago. When like you said, you had to sand and fit pieces, flat pieces together to try to make a square boxcar. I'm just absolutely amazed with the level of detail that people are able to cast now. Even things that undercuts that were never possible, you're getting now. So that's really quite amazing, but but my question now, you guys that are uh, modeling the mainline, the HO guys, you you're getting the same kind of quality that we used to brag about in
7: resin kits in ready to run. How's that changed the way you look at things, Dave? That's a good question. I started out with you know Blue Box Atheron cars, and I don't know that I even discovered like Katy cars, for instance, until oh I don't know maybe eighteen years or so ago. And now I'm always looking for those just, you know, to they look good. And I, I'm pushing a lot of the Athern stuff aside and thinking of ways to sell it, you know. And then I started buying tangent cars and exact rail cars. And um, I haven't had any problems with people breaking pieces off of them. They're just, they just look so good that it's kind of hard to go back to the blue box cars, even though they certainly fill a, you know, a necessary void because you have to have lots of cars at some point. So you might as well buy some of those things when you can. The new Atheron cars are awfully, no question about that. Um, What do you think, Greg?
8: Well, I was thinking that, you know, that's kind of a double-edged sword to me because, you know, I've got some of the tangent and some of the exact rail cars. You know, if if something by chance derails and then somebody, you know, manhandles it and gets it back on the track. And when I'm at somebody else's layout and operating, I, I feel a little... You know, I, I don't want to break anything off. And man, some of them details are just so fine, you know? So I, I'm kind of wondering sometimes almost if they've taken it too far.
1: But Greg, is that an intimidation element, the the fine details? Because you could go to Joe's and see the same type of detail. And do you feel then is the manufacturer, and you say gone too far, but is it just those little details that, that you fear? Or like Dave said, he hasn't had any problems and we run a lot of them on my dad's, but do you see that as going too far? Is there is there a point of it's too far as far as an operator is concerned?
8: No, I'm I'm not saying that uh, you know you know it's a bad thing, right? I, I'm just saying that those fine details I've been handling my cars like for weathering, and then all of a sudden you know I find a stirrup step or an <laughs> air hose. And it's, it's like you know. Son of a buckwheat, you know, I paid 55 bucks for this car and all of a sudden I'm trying to tiny little pee and that, I don't know, it just did. It's not an intimidation factor. It's just sometimes if I, if I'm operating, then, you know, know, like Dave said, sometimes those blue box cars are just nice to fill out a train.
1: Well, now, Mike, you've operated on, I know a local modeler here, Gary, he has a lot of uh, what we consider older equipment, but it works. It's reliable. And when you're in a session like that, as far as a a car and manufacturer is concerned, you look past the details, do you not? Uh, Yeah,
4: I think that that was a good point in that uh, are the details gone too far? You've got to separate modeling railroad from operating railroad. So when you're operating, that detail isn't as important. It looks nice, but it's not important. But if you're modeling something, you know, then, you know, the more you're into the hobby, the more details you see, and you want that nice, detailed car. And uh, we're all operators, so not every car has to be detailed, but it's kind of nice that if you have a specific industry that you're working on, then you probably want a couple of those cars to be more detailed than, say, a string of ore cars that are completely detailed. So how do you make that separation, Tom?
6: It is interesting. I like what Greg says about it's too many details. And going back to Joe, you mentioned this red caboose. Now that's a manufacturer. Are they still making things, Joe, or is that?
2: No, Intermountain was molding for them. and that, Okay, so this has gone away. Intermountain has their molds now.
6: Right. And then I think like Ken brought up the idea of the undercuts that we see now. It's, the manufacturing has gone so far to give us all these details. I remember... The only model back in the day with recessed doors were those River Rossi U25Cs, remember with the pizza cutter flanges and things like that. Yeah, I I think things may have gone too far. I'm making it all. I think Scale Model Trains has come up with a genius idea of offering items in two or three different versions. Museum quality, you're going to put on your shelf. Operator, we're going to run at the sessions.
1: Well, That's interesting. So the levels, I think, are a good move as far as a manufacturer is concerned, because it it is getting into those different price points. It's getting into the different detail points. Now, when it comes to filling out a fleet, and I know a lot of times clubs, they might jump on an ore train or a coal train or something like that. And they need high volume because they want to have a big, long train on the railroad. Now, to spin it um, towards you, Larry, when you are in a club atmosphere and there are guys coming and going, As a manufacturer, and we know couplers aren't even standardized, how do you see the functions between different manufacturers or even modelers in your group? What are they targeting towards? Are they going for the finer scale or are they going for that? I need it just out of the box. I need it to function. And in Tom's example, scale trains gives you that base level. Do you see more of it or do you see more of the detailed stuff? You
3: see more of the bulk, the old blue box, old Atlas, et cetera. Things that you can modify and make run good. In every case, we try to go for the NMRA standards for weights. As a club, we've chosen KD-148 couplers as the standard, uh, unless it needs an offset. We basically take the model, the basic model for quantity, because we do have 20 and 30 car trains, and not everybody has a budget to buy $60 cars, especially a fleet. You go to a train show sometimes you pick them up for five to eight bucks and you throw some couplers and wheels on them and they, they run around just fine.
1: Now Larry, you hit on budget there. And I I think that's a good area to pivot. And I want to pivot actually right to locomotives. This is an area that locomotives are costly. The new ones, especially the old ones can be updated, but Dave, in your case, you've got a larger size railroad. When you look at a locomotive and you're going to make a purchase, what is your deciding factor when you're looking at the various manufacturers that are out there is it the model type is it the price point is it the detail what are you looking at as a modeler whether I can
7: sneak it in the house before my wife sees the size it. of the box I you know it, it, there's kind of a focus just because of the you know one particular railroad you know so that that helps to narrow the focus you know I'm I kind of like the Rapido stuff, but fortunately they don't make very many in the, you know, in any of the Hill Road names, you know, Burlington, especially. So, but I've been pretty happy with the Athern Genesis locomotive. There's no, no problems with those things. And I don't know, I've I've just been sitting here thinking, you know, I've got two or three Bowsers and they're okay. And it's mostly Athern Genesis locomotives, I would say, exist on my fleet and Protos, the 2Ks. And yeah, I've. The newer stuff has certainly got more more to look at than the older one. You know, the cabs being a little bit narrower and nicer ladders, nicer printing and decals on them.
1: Danny, you guys, you're going road specific. And I agree with you, Dave, in terms of Rapido not offering as many. In their case, they don't offer a lot of American stuff. But when we're yeah. talking about even the drives that are in them, you mentioned Proto and the Genesis. The Protos, for the age that they are, the drives are actually pretty good,
7: considering. Oh, yeah.
1: Are there any of you guys that you, are you buying it based on the drive? Because back in the day you had the Atlas member Atlas had the Cotto drive in it. And that was always something that was kind of sought after. Uh, Tom, I think you've actually got a few locomotives yourself being in the Alco world. Are those, uh, are they Cotto or are they, what, what do you have for drives in yours? I think they're Cotto's
6: or the newest Atlas, but yeah, that's exactly why I chose Alco's as my main power was I could get that quality I can make them run. And to go along with what Greg says, that Atlas are ones not only do they run well, but I can work on them. I can take off the shell. I can put in my own decoder. It's easy to modify the weights to put in a keep alive and a speaker. And I can even change the handles. They're workable. They're ready to detail. And I don't feel like some of these manufacturers, if I pick up a shell, parts are falling off, like Greg says here. You know, And I'm picking up, there's brake rigging, there's the brake wheel, there's this beautiful engine. But the Atlas combined that running speed, you know, when I hit my DCC throttles to one, the engines move, you know, thanks to Larry and some other people teaching me how to program these right. But I do agree that those, that those Kato motors and those Atlas motors were a big deciding factor in, can I have a fleet of these? And at one, you know, one point I remember Greg Doll and I joked about this, we used to have old crappy cars. I was driving around in my old Toyota truck and I'm like, I wish Kato made a truck. You know, I just, <laughs> I just to, I well. they made a pickup truck. So, but yeah, that, that's one of the things that I chose there.
1: Well, then I want to just slide over. We're talking drivetrains and as far as how well stuff runs. Can you in the S scale world, you said that there are not as many manufacturers that are available to you. So, in your world, are you putting in your own drives or how are you coming about finding a good running locomotive, even in S scale?
0: For, for about 25 years, we've had American models producing. Engines and and they have over the years improved their drives and so in a few of my very old engines i bought their new gear towers and I've been very pleased with that uh, so that yes that's exactly right and people are actually taking those American models drives and putting them in resin kits and other things because they are so durable dependable and and they just run well and that's this conversation is is kind of boiling to something that that I wonder about, there's so many different reasons people are in this hobby. When I went to St. Louis to the prototype modelers meet, I saw people that had amazing examples of a car or two cars. And I'm wondering to myself, do they have large layouts or do they have layouts at all? And and so is that a factor in choosing what it is you want to emphasize, how large your layout is, whether you're more into operations than into taking photos and having static models. what Larry, you know, when you talk about your club, is that something you see in your club and in other people you work with?
3: Not really. Uh, most of the guys just like running trains. I have a few friends that are not in the club that love to set up the diorama and they'll take that high-end brass engine that's been super detailed and painted and all that. And they'll set up a photograph in that little vignette. I mean, there's a place for that also. You know, you're not going to take an old blue box engine and take that picture and hope to get it published in a magazine. It's never going to make it. However, the blue box may run better than the brass. It's constant trade-off. And, and then there's the guy. same guy might have that and sets that whole thing up for the photography aspect. But he's got a, an Atlas yellow box from Yugoslavia. That he's put a good decoder in and it runs fine and he'll bring it to the club and drag 30 cars around with this train and be quite happy with it.
0: Just to kind of reiterate what you said, I have some brass engines that I bought that I've taken out and put American models drives under them. I'm sure the brass purists would go nuts.
3: Well, I have a good friend friend in S scale here and he's done the same thing. He bought, I think it was three Alleghenies. And he ended up reworking the drives on them. It probably has 30 hours each in them, but they run like a Swiss watch and they look the part. They are absolutely amazing. But is that the
1: evolution of the hobby itself? Now we as modelers, I think we collectively, a lot of times become very prototype oriented. know, a lot of us will attend the RPM meet here, the the prototype modelers meet in the Twin Cities. We're really looking at something that's gonna become more prototypical have we elevated what the manufacturers are doing or has the elevator or has the uh, manufacturer elevated it? And we've gone up with it. Do you know what I'm saying? So like even Greg, do you, as an example, tangent being a manufacturer just shifting over to freight cars here is that's all they do. All they do is create. I think they're one of the best freight car manufacturers out there. Now you and I have discussed the 86 foot box car. That's something that we can use in the industry, but Walter's made it atherin made it i mean they have other cars out there and i realize they're not the exact car but for you as a prototype modeler did tangent come out because of us looking for it and now we're just working on the weathering or did you know enough of demand that you can sit there and say well we can create our own and then tangent says well let's not create our own let's just create this car and have these guys just buy it all done and it's ready to go
8: that's an interesting question but i think I don't think it's a case of the tail wagging the dog. I don't think it's the modellers, you know, demanding you can you can post all you want on on Twitter and Facebook about what you want, but when it comes down to it any good manufacturer is going to have to look at can I make money doing? It? How many of these am I going to sell? And they honestly don't care if they sell it because you're going to photograph it on a diorama or if you're going to run it on your layout. They just want to sell them. I mean I mean I'm trying to make them into jerks, but you know that's the, you know the bottom line for them. And I know that posting a lot isn't going to help because I've been posting about getting a good C415 and absolutely. <laughs> that's not keep,
1: keep trying, that keep trying. That, that's, Dan that's, Dosa is getting, getting all you, the Elcos in the world.
2: Yeah, start kit bashing it.
1: Yeah. Least, I, I, I yeah.
2: disagree with you, Greg, actually. Um, I have talked to several manufacturers and at the RPM meets, and they have said, yeah, we pay attention to this stuff. So obviously, something that is obscure, they're not going to come up with <clears throat> C415. Rapido's coming out with the UTLX X3, and the the argument against it is, oh, it's only was only done in black. You're right, but there were thirty thousand of them. Okay, if you model an HO scale, any between anywhere between 1920 and 1960, you need to have four or five of these cars. Proto 2000 with their they were very when like Life owned them was very responsive to things. To, Uh, comments. And and they worked with uh, Dr. Dr. Richard Hendrickson exclusively to come up with correct schemes and the correct car. So you're right, their job is to make money and they're going to look to sell as many as they can and and what car is going to sell the most. But the good manufacturers are pretty responsive, in my opinion.
1: Well, like you say, I mean, that ends up being the business side of things. You do have to make something on it. Right. And like Tom alluded to earlier, the scale train's making the three different levels. They're trying to get into a couple of different areas. And now, Mike, I want to throw it towards you as being as specific as you are in the reefer world. Is there a need for you, even at this point, as a modeler, to be looking at upgrading your fleet? Would you upgrade your fleet? Is there a necessity to even do that? Or is because your railroad is all functioning and things work well enough and it's good enough? Well, that's... The evolution of a person's hobby
4: is you, you start just buying anything that you see and sticking it on your railroad, and then you start hanging out with other operators. And the education that they give you through their snide comments <laughs> tends to make you improve your modeling skills, just visiting other railroads they operate fine and everything's there. But that little hidden level of detail just gives you a little added pleasure in, in operating. So you you tend to move on up in your skills and, and what you observe. My refrigerator cars, it's just like a coal car. I mean, you know, or an ore car. Uh, There's so many of them that just the sheer number, you kind of lose the detail and what you need. That doesn't mean when I go to the flea market, you know, I'm not looking at that next level of, of quality in both locomotives and cars.
1: Well, so, and I think that says, I got into the hobby, I mean, back into the hobby, I should say, in probably 20 years ago. And that's where I started. I just started in the inner mountain and some of those cars are just starting to come out, which were nice. but. What I started to also notice was redundancy. Do you guys notice any redundancy within the manufacturing world that you see? It's like, oh, can we make another hopper? Can we make another 4750? Uh, Atherin, I think it was actually, it was still trains F7. and tangent came out with the 4180 air slides, the exact same car. And I think they may even have duplicate numbers, but do you guys see redundancy? is becoming like, can we get another F-unit? Can we get another SD40-2? And you say, enough already. Is there anybody that jumps on that and sees it in the manufacturing side of things?
4: Well, I just see when uh, Big Boy came out. There's a uh, manufacturer that isn't making some version of the Big <laughs> Boy. So you're you're absolutely right. They, that bandwagon is pretty crowded.
2: Certain things, it seems that everybody has to release one of, right? The F-unit. Or you guys are talking about this 4750 or the 4180 air slides, everybody's got an SD 40-2. But they're significant cars or locomotives, so maybe it is right that they have it out there and hopefully they reinvent the wheel a little bit and make a nicer locomotive. I don't think anybody wants to go back to the Globe F7. So, but what would your
6: loyalty be on that? So if you're modeling the Santa Fe and I need a war at F7 <clears throat> and here's Tycho all the way up to Overland Brass. What would be your, your deciding point? The cost, ease of work, the motor. Is it an overall thing to look at it like that? What 4750? Like if I had three 4750 hoppers I needed, I'd want the best. If I had a grain elevator, a whole district like Williams modeling, I'm going to get filler cars. I'll get the after. Yeah, I think there's like I can for both, get those tangents. Isn't there room for both? Oh, no, there is room for both, but but what yeah. would you, what would you want? You know, if you're well, going to spend your money on it, what would you want?
2: Am I spending my money or am I spending my wife's money? What's <laughs> <laughs> yours my is money, hers I and what's hers is hers. So. Exactly. Well, if I'm spending my money, I want the really well-detailed ones. If I'm spending her money, I want a lot of them because I know I'm not going to get a lot of her money. I want the cheap ones. <laughs>
1: so that even goes on the loyalty side of things in terms of manufacturers in general, standing what stands out in front of things. Ken, you actually briefly touched on brass. Brass is a very high, be considered probably your top shelf, especially maybe 20 years ago, but now you're seeing plastic come up to it. Do any of you guys see the devaluation of some of that? And I'm going to spin this actually just towards cabooses as an example. Brass cabooses that allows us to get stuff that isn't normally readily available. Manufacturers don't commonly put out a ton of them, and I actually spoke with I think it's the is it North American model builders? Are those the guys with the red, white, and blue box? Are you they, they did laser kit ones. No, the Saskatchewan they did some uh, cylindrical hoppers. I might be of the wrong manufacturer, but nonetheless, that that manufacturer said we don't make cabooses because there's only one at the end of the train. We want to make something that there's a bunch of. Well, we all need cabooses, and when you come to decide what caboose do you put on a train or have on your railroad in any scale. Where do you start? Do you start with your, your, you know, high-end brass, or you work your way up? Or in Tom, in your case, I know you've taken repeatal cabooses and modified them to your own road.
6: Yeah, that's. I was looking for something unique, like you said, the brass ones. And I, the caboose I actually wanted is the one on the Alaska Railroad. They're center cupolas, but the cupola looks like the old Great Northern CB and Q streamlined one. I could only find them in brass. You know, the the amount they wanted for them and how much I was going to get was a couple of mortgage payments. So I'm like, oh, these Rapitos are nice. <laughs> so so it was, you know, they're detailed and lights and doing this. I said, well, I'll go with those, you know, they had wide vision cabooses on the Masabi in the fifties. And so I can get away with that same as Erie mining. So it, it was just a matter of, cause I'm a freelancer that picking something unique, you know, versus someone like Greg, he's picking specific Mopac and SP cabooses. So Greg, why did you choose those manufacturers? For yours.
8: I, so I went with the Genesis, came out with the, all the C50, you know, SP cabooses, all the various versions of it. So I went with those. But, you know, cabooses is an interesting subject because, see, I see a big difference between cars and versus cabooses and engines. And I know there's some people that I can tell you the difference between you know, a 4750 hopper and a 4740
1: hopper. Exactly. Uh, it, it's lost
8: on me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. I'll get that one day. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for, for engines and cabooses, yes, I, I can see the difference and, and maybe, so, you know, your, your question about where would you spend your hobby money, I think is different in both of those because if you don't know the difference between those two, you know, covered hoppers, you're perfectly willing to, you know, take the one that's cheaper and higher detailed, even if it's not exact where for me, both the engine and the caboose, you know, that's kind of the star of the show a lot of times. So, and, you know, since you only need one caboose, as you pointed out, perfectly willing to spend, a, you know, quite a bit more on the caboose than I would be
1: uh, the engine. Well, and that's just it. So even from a scratch building standpoint, I know, Dave, you're in the CB&Q world, they do have some unique kind of hip rope cabooses. Now with that, I want to say it was a Tyco or something along those lines that guys were kind of modifying those to make them look like the CB and Q cabooses. Do you take the time and effort to do something like that? Or do you wait for a manufacturer to try to find that brass that's out there?
7: I think those are, what are they? NE10s or something like that. Whatever number it is, Bachman or Lifelike might've made the the one you're thinking of. And I've thought about fixing one up, but I think if I ever saw one that somebody else didn't that looked good, I would consider buying it. I don't think I fixate on on having super prototypically accurate bookends on the railroad, as long as they move fairly smoothly and look good from a distance. You know, I, I've only got like three brass, one steam locomotive, a G30, and a car that I bought, a Drover Caboose, just because it looked so cool. So I don't, you know, I'm not I'm not really into the brass stuff as such. But if it looks, I'm starting to get more interested in the extra detail on run-of-the-mill cars. So I, I can see almost doing some of that in the future. So, But well, that's on, part of the whole.
1: Go well, that's just it. It, it, it. It's having the, I guess, priorities. Greg pointed out a really good point is where he's going to concentrate his funds, whether it's locomotives or cabooses, It's interesting your take ends up being it's like, well, a caboose, if it's got CB&Q paint or even a BN, and it's going to suffice to know that that's the end of the train. That's really all you're trying to identify
7: anyhow, right? Yep, pretty much, pretty much. So
1: so then for you on this one, uh, Mike, when you're running on your railroad, do you use, uh, I mean, on the caboose moves, how do you handle trying to get something like the Santa Maria Valley cabooses? Was there something out there that you're able to uh, custom paint or how did that work?
4: Well, I'm kind of lucky in that hardly anybody knows about the Santa Maria Valley, so I can substitute any type of caboose and say this is what they had. As we're maturing in our hobby, the first part was getting the layout built and then to get it run well. Uh, now I'm starting to figure out what some of these deep details are. So they had a wide cupola that seems to be out of place for such a short line but they bought it from an obscure railroad in Maine. That's on my list of things that I want to build is that particular caboose. That's the, the good thing about the hobby is, is that you can put something in that gets you by until you have the time or the funds to build the detailed equipment.
1: Well, the caboose is nice because it's just one. You If you're going to custom or kit bash something, you don't have to do 20 of them.
4: No, that's true. I, you know, some of the larger layouts probably have as many cabooses as I have cars on my railroad, so,
1: you know, it's, <laughs> Do you guys find anything with the caboose front? And Larry, I'm going to pick on you a little bit here. But when it comes to the cabooses and the, the disassembly process or the modification, sometimes you want to get in there and do an interior. Tom, you might be able to hint at that a little bit because you did your interior on your caboose or had tried to take a caboose apart. But Larry, I want you to share with us just a little bit on a Walther's caboose that you were you were taking apart Is that, I mean, kind of a daunting little process because you do have end ladders and a lot of little details you don't want to mess up because, well, it's the caboose and everybody looks at it. That's
3: exactly it. This one I'm going to be putting an NCE light it in. I did manage with the help of the team here to get the cupola off, and it does appear that this roof is severely glued on. I'm looking at a workaround on how to get it in, but this is the uh, third caboose of the day. Uh, I have an old Atherin blue box I did, an Atlas one I did, and then, of course, this Walter's one. And the first two were relatively simple. This one, not so much. But it is nice to be able to take them apart and add details. Like you say, you know, an NCE Light it board is small enough. It's the size of a postage stamp, So you can hide that thing inside just about anywhere. And uh, with the micro LEDs, you can really get some nice effects on on lighting and and all that. This one has a full interior, so I'm really challenged with well, not damaging something.
1: Yeah, so that's what's interesting, though, is you're actually going to light this thing up and see the interior. And for guys that might do night running or want to at least get their head in close, they can see it and kind of appreciate it. I know Athern, they did their, um, I don't know if it was an international, what caboose they had done with the CB&Q paint, but it's a lit interior. And there's nothing really in there. There's little, a couple little chairs, but it's it's very empty. And, and that's, I think, kind of a, a downfall on that particular piece. But I know if you're going to tear apart one of these and put lights into it, Tom, you kind of experienced it as well, is getting that track power. How do you keep this thing alive? Touch just briefly on what you had done with your caboose.
6: Well, I try to, the usual method is make a lot of mistakes and then call Larry. So, (laughs) and like I said, I was having trouble even taking those Rapido cabooses apart. I even had to ask them how to do it. Now I'm putting a decoder in there and some LEDs. They put a really nice interior in there and it kind of goes with the passenger cars. William, I saw you do this with the great Northern, you know, observation car is the modelers that at our levels, and we've been in this so long, we want to put all this in there and then you put it on the layout and no one can see it. It's kind of, you, you have to weigh that out. And I was bringing this back like to Mike and to Greg, especially Mike with all the reefers and me with all the ore cars. I, I keep telling Dan Dosa this and Greg Dahl that I'm going to take one ore car and remove all the stirrups and grab irons and put in all wire and hand out, you know, put in the brake rig and just throw it out in the fleet and see if anyone notices. And just, you know, if anyone ever says that car looks different, I'll hand them 20 bucks. And I, I guarantee... You know, they'll be turned on the layout before
3: anyone would see it. So Now, you know, Tom, that someone in this group will go up there just yeah. to find that. <laughs> How many times can I do that?
1: Yeah, that's you know, right. We're all looking for it. We're waiting, Tom. Come we're on. Want,
3: we're <laughs> wanting the money.
1: Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, you know, back well, to
6: the caboose thing, I, it is, you know, it is one per train. And that's an interesting thing on why they maybe they only made them in brass. But you do want mm-hmm. that to shine. Now, Greg, Greg was right on the money with the engines and the caboose are the stars of the show
1: they are collective know. collectively do you guys think and i ken i know you're with you even in the s world do you think that you're getting the cabooses that you want from your manufacturer whether it's resin or not i'm gonna let ken just open that up no I, there
0: was a, a wooden kit done 50 years ago that does the the northern pacific wood caboose that i like and then there's a uh wide vision caboose but just about everything else in between. I I need to uh, build myself if I want something unique like the Northern Pacific uh, steel-built cabooses that they did in Brainerd. But the cabooses are are so interesting. It's I see people uh, put brakeman on the back and then they never remove the brakeman. I see them put cab interiors, but it strikes me that you would never have a cab interior on. In the cupola while the brakeman's supposed to be watching the train go in the dark. I've even seen people put smoke units in their caboose. So sometimes I wonder.
3: I have have a lot of people ask me to put these little markers on the back. I've done that. That's cool. They're five bucks a piece uh, from a company called Model Train Technologies. They look amazing on the back. They're slightly out of scale if you measure them and you're that O C D, they're a little bit big, but not much, maybe three inches. You know Larry
0: they're S scale and you're just <laughs>
3: using them. Ah, is that what it is? <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> using
2: his stuff, Larry.
3: <laughs> but they, you know, with the nice thing about the lighted is the, the <clears throat> functions can be turned on and off with a with a function key. And uh so it's nice to be able to turn those things on and off and uh, even turn the insides off on and off. I know I talk a lot about that little product, but it really fits the niche. For inside of a caboose, it does other things too, but it that it's specifically good for that niche. Now, if they could give a directional light on it, it'd be my kingdom solved.
1: Now, when we talk about a lot of the things that we obviously look at locomotives, freight cars and cabooses, the manufacturer themselves—they're the ones that produce it. The design of how the thing goes together. Larry, you touched on your Walther's caboose. I know, Dave, we dove into Rapido and their SW twelve hundreds. How are they to take apart? What is your uh, pros or cons? What's your customer experience like with the manufacturer? Have you had any, you know, great experiences? And if not great, if you've had poor experiences, how do you, how do you feel about manufacturers and how they feel the ground balls of what would be what we consider maybe a flaw? But they do have to address the issue and how uh, you might kind of dive into it. Dave, I'm just going to pick on you because I know you did the SW12. Sure. What was your experience with Rapido?
7: They were real good about replying to my email message. I suppose I deep down I was hoping that they would offer me something for my trouble. But, you know, that was really a minor consideration. And when I did fix the thing, just to be clear, it had a broken wire inside of the truck. You know, one of the wires just broke right off the tab. It was a quality control thing. I think they were aware of it, but I can see their reluctance to say, yeah, we're aware of it, as opposed to encouraging me to fix it myself. And they they did have a local warranty station where I could have sent it. When I started thinking about the time element, I figured, well, they told me how to take it apart. I might as well do it. I sent them a picture of it when it was all back together with the broken wire and whatnot, you know, that I replaced. And, and they wrote back and, you know, they were very complimentary and whatnot. So, you know, I thought that was a pretty good deal. I had uh, some Walther's parts a couple times I've talked to them, you know, to, to get parts or get information. They've been super helpful with their service desk. I don't think I've ever really contacted any other manufacturers. So, so at, at this point, I've got, I'm pleased with the way I've been treated. A soundtracks, one time I sent a decoder back that I fried the one and only time, and they were real good about a minimal charge to replace it. I have no complaints about any of the manufacturers responding to questions.
1: Well that so, is just, just as far as customer service, I think in general that's a, a, a huge thing for manufacturers to kind of have to address. Some people complain about Athern and some missing and stuff, but every time I've experienced it, they've done you know due diligence and taken care of it. We might be looking for, like you kind of said, Dave, a little compensation or maybe, you know, just a little a little kickback oh, yeah. for your time. But it is a little bit more of a daunting task because who wants to take that engine and pull it all apart to try to fix an issue that maybe could have been prevented prior to that? But uh, the last thing I'm going to ask you guys, we'll go around the horn on this. And this is just really kind of just loyalties and where they may lie. Do you have a manufacturer that you consider just to give them the green thumbs up? No matter what they come out with, you're pretty confident in what they ha- have out there. And Mike, I'm going to start with you.
4: I really don't. I'm still trying to hone my railroad to uh, a specific operation standard as far as locomotives and cabooses. I'm still in the experimental stage testing. Testing, testing. Uh, I haven't found anything that I really want to continue to buy. I mean, I've, I've weeded out just about everything that doesn't work.
1: Well, that's a huge part of the process is eliminating and that trial and error to get through it is a big part of it. It is. And then Larry, how about yourself? You've seen a lot of manufacturers, I'm sure with your clubs, as well as yourself on, on your own routers. Is, is there a personal favorite out there?
3: Yeah, I, <clears throat> I have a certain amount of loyalty to Atlas Beck. In the early 80s, when I was in N-Scale, they released their RS3, which was the first really good running N-Scale locomotive. I've had a lot of, currently, I probably have 25 Atlas engines on my layout. You know, some of them are old engines. They still have parts that speaks volumes. You know, when you do break something weird, you call them up and, you know, say, yeah, you know, this one will work. They save you all that. The standing joke with me is I have loyalty to anybody who makes alcos.
1: (laughs) Tom as well. (laughs) How about you, Joe?
3: I don't know that I have a particular manufacturer. If they bring out
2: something I want, I'll be extremely loyal to buy at least one.
1: Even in the resin world, there's nobody that stands out that you say they make the the best resin kit?
2: Actually, the best resin kit, in my opinion, are the ones released by Dennis Storzik. He's one of the guys who's now with Accurail. And these are from the 80s. They were just, they were fabulous to build. And anytime I can build one, I
1: do. Oh, it's cool. It well, stands the test of time.
2: Yeah, right. Atlas, I really like. Or anything Kato built is fun to work on. I've got an ST45 that I'm working on for a guy who found in Illinois to make Progressive Rail 43. It makes sense to me the way that they're engineered. And the same thing with the old Stewarts and the, the Atlas ones and that kind of stuff. Sure. Their stuff just makes sense to me.
8: Now, how about you, Greg? I think I echo the same sentiments that there really isn't a manufacturer. There's a few maybe that I stay away from uh, just because problems people have had, but I guess it depends. You know, if somebody comes out, like I said, with the C415, I'm probably <laughs> going to be buying it just, you know, even if I have to replace the entire engine in it to get it to work. Yeah. I, I, I'm grateful Atherin came out with the MP15 AC because I was trying to kit bash one in the early eighties. Yep. That was a, Total disaster, but you know, ye who waits thirty five years will eventually get it.
7: That's right. Um, so. <laughs> what about you, Dave? I don't know. I've I've really not been disappointed with any of the manufacturers. You know, I'm just amazed every day when you you see all the new stuff coming out and the fact that you know they've stuck it out through some tough times with their you know years ago with their Chinese factories shutting down or, or whatever happened with you know some of those bigger toy manufacturers and they keep coming back for more. No, I'm, I have no complaints and I'll, you know, again, I, cause I can kind of focus on certain road names and, you know, stay in Midwest oriented or Hill line railroad names. I mean, it's, everybody has what I want. So I've been pretty used overall, even with the electronic stuff. So,
1: well, that's the, you know, the, the announcements come out. And I always say, if it's not Sioux line or Milwaukee, I dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. And how about you, Ken?
0: I think that over the years I've developed loyalties. And in some cases, it's caused me to overlook things. And as I think about the thing, I'm overlooking, it's pretty minor. I'll give you an example, one of the primary producers in Scale came out with a rebuilt boxcar and he used the same mold slides that he had for his outside brace boxcar. So his rebuilt boxcar was essentially three inches too narrow. Of course, a few guys got right on the right on the internet and complained about. The shortcut they'd taken, and I thought to myself, they have never been in small business before, and and small business people have to take shortcuts. My loyalty goes to somebody that treats the customers fairly and produces a, a, a very nice product. That if I need to enhance, I can enhance, and I like to, I, and that's part of my modeling is taking uh, a car and enhancing it. I enjoy doing that.
1: Well, I think that's good though. The enhancement element, I feel like with the detailed cars that are out now, weathering becomes my enhancing element if I'm going to buy a tangent car. So now I'm no longer having to detail it all up. I don't have the patience as Joe does, or even maybe the custom painting sales decal. You do all that work too. A lot of times you're a little hesitant to even touch the thing once it's at that state. And I think one of the things I do have to bring up before uh, we close up here, I'm going to let Tom answer the question as well. But I do have to throw out, uh, Dan Dosa made one of the great comments. It was in regards to the details of our, a lot of our rolling stock locomotives and everything alike. In the real world, we look at cars that are on the road. There are certain cars we can't afford because they're a little too nice. They got all the bells and whistles and you don't necessarily need that, but you can afford or take care of a car that might have lesser to it. So looking at it in that perspective, there are a wide range of models that are out there. They're not for everybody. The super detailed stuff that you may not want to touch, well, that's out there because it's out there for people like myself. I do like the prototype side of things. I like weathering it all up and making it look nice, trying to look prototypical. But in the reality of it, is you can start at something basic, you can learn to weather on it. Maybe you can build upon it and eventually upgrade as time goes on. So I think we covered a lot of great uh, content and topics. But I do want to get that last question answered by you, Tom. Is there a a manufacturer that stands out for you? And we'll let you close it out after you answer your question.
6: Yes, I I think there is. And I, to to wrap it up, I think loyalty is wallet-driven until something breaks and then it's customer service-driven. Because if you buy (laughs) from Product Day, yeah, and something breaks and they're not going to help you. You're like, well, I'm never buying that again. I think the, the group we have here with the skills is we can buy something subpar. You know, I agree, 100% agree with yours. I'm buying a tangent car and I'm just weathering it. I think that we can look at a car, pick some up at a flea market and you're like, why would you want that? Well, I'm going to put on new grab irons. I'm going to put stirrups. I'm going to put intermount wheels. I'm going to change the trucks to Katie trucks. I get the, and, it's, and it becomes a project for us. And I think one of the greatest ones ever, and Greg and I did this, were these old X-58 boxcars. I don't know if anyone's familiar with them. But these were the boxcars that you see at shows that had Shazam or Superman or auto light plug, you know, these these horrible boxcars with gaudy writing on them for John Deere tractors and stuff. The truth is they were accurate boxcars for pen, Pencil, pen Central Conrail cars. And so a bunch of us had a challenge that we stripped them, we carved off all the details, we put on walkovers, and to see what you could make them into the prototype, because five or six prototypes had them. And it was it was a lot of fun that you're making this silk purse out of a sow's ear. So <laughs> I, I think that's kind of where we're at. And, and I look at loyalty, and, and one of the things, an old company I worked for, we talked about, You'll, no one will ever have the loyalty of the Harley Davidson motorcycle because there is no other company that I know of that people will tattoo their logo on their body. <laughs> no, one's, <laughs> no one's getting <laughs> that tattoo, you know? Yeah, got so the
5: tattoo.
6: <laughs> you know, and I just, I thought about that. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, no one's tattooing American Airlines on there, you know? So yeah, I, but I think loyalty is wallet driven. I think loyalty gets upgraded as we go through the hobby. And I think we're also smart enough to realize that I've got 200 ore cars. I don't need a new MTH one that costs $40. You'll You'll not see it. You know, Joe's got 400 brown boxcars, but he knows the difference and he's been upgrading them. And I, I do like that, but I, I do like the loyalties, like I said before, to Atlas engines and Rapido cabooses because they make a product that I've been able to adapt and run. I'll leave it at that. To be
2: clear, I only have 300. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the Atherton tattoo is not visible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it
2: depends. <laughs> yeah.
8: I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, we don't need a visual. Does Larry got an Arduino late. tattoo?
6: I don't know. You got Arduino on.
2: you, yeah, Larry, that's what I Arduino tattoos. There you go. Yeah.
1: Just just oh, snuck uh, Arduino onto the buzzer. Uh, well, that's all we have as far as the uh, the conversation in regards to the rolling stock. Tom, did you have a closing on it?
6: No, I wanted you to close on it. Go go for it. You
1: sure. Wrap up this well, as far section. as... as as far as the conversation goes, we actually kind of went along and looked at locomotives because that's where the train starts. We end up the freight cars because that's the obviously center of the train. And we tried to end with the caboose slight tangent on the customer service, but really appreciate your guys' input and information. Huge respect across the board for our skill levels. Uh, and everybody that's out there that's listening, share the podcast, let people know. I mean, it's one of the things that w- the only way we share the hobby is to be able to share it with each other. And it's sharing with one another, just saying, hey, check this out. It's as simple as that. We're not getting paid. We sit down for an hour here and chat. So you guys have something to listen to um, or fall asleep to, depending on when you're listening. But we appreciate all your listeners that are out there, all the subscribers that are out there. And we look forward to the next podcast that comes up next time it's next time is downloaded.
6: All right, Hello, everyone, gonna... thank
1: you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. All right. right, uh, Oompa. Oompa. <laughs>
8: All right, here's a curmudgeon coming at you for the gripe of the pod. My biggest concern as of late has been the museum-quality rolling stock that's been coming out. If you've ever been to a museum, the one thing that you've got to remember is don't touch. Well... When guy's got nothing but rolling stock on his railroad that's museum quality, I don't want to touch it. So we're in an operating session. Old Banana Hands curmudgeon's concerned because as a kid growing up, it was you break it, you buy it. And the curmudgeon doesn't have that kind of budget. And that's a curmudgeon's cry for the pie.
2: I tried to talk about it, but Jordan kept on talking about the freaking 70 toners.
0: <laughs>
1: there you go. No, there's not enough alcohol for that. <laughs> oh, he's going to get his button or a pin vest.
7: Power
4: drum. Here he comes.
7: Larry? Yeah.
2: Can you open your garage door? Why? <laughs> I'm just wondering.
6: Just yeah, it was a curiosity <laughs> question.
5: <laughs> You've been listening to The Crossing Gate, the official podcast of the Twin Cities Division. You can find us on Facebook in our group, the Twin Cities Division of the NMRA. You can email us at tcdnmra at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to subscribe for future podcasts.
0: I had to go out and look up what the heck a C415 was. Okay. Do they make it an S scale? No, I understand why nobody. (laughs) (laughs) And why Greg likes it.
2: Yeah, where is Greg? Did he leave already?
6: (laughs) No, he's over there. He's come back to the C415.